This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hello, you magnificent bastards, and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. Tonight on the episode, we have Davey Furchow from the band Dry Wedding, the Portland post-cowpunk group, as they would call themselves, have finally released their newest album, Sway, on vinyl. Two different colors and black. Go to Bandcamp right now. That'd be drywedding.bandcamp.com and buy yourself a nice slab of vinyl that's packed from stem to stern with some of the dustiest, dankest, and most dismal cowpunk post-goth, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, it's, it's just seething with complete and utter despair. It's beautiful. You need this record. You need their record previous to it, The Longy Road, which is also available on Bandcamp to purchase on vinyl. If you're a fan of bands like 16 Horsepower or Woven Hand, if you're a fan of The Screaming Trees, or Mark Lanigan. What about the uh, unsung yet fully important Paw? Or Mark Hennessy? Or Mark Hennessy's new band, Godzillionaire? If any of this music appeals to you with that gothic western sensibility, 
I think you're really going to love dry wetting. I'm not sure if any of you have been keeping up with me uh, and my extra podcast affair that has currently been taking place with Offshelf.net. I am a contributing columnist uh, doing a column called Shadow Plays, where I write about the newest and most important post-punk bands currently within the underground. Uh, I don't really just spit information at you with this particular column. It is more to do with uh, comparing and contrasting its importance and presence in culture. If you're at all interested in reading my pieces, just go over to offshelf.net and take a peek at Shadow Plays. If you're at all interested in becoming a full-fledged member and donating at the monthly or yearly, subscribing at the monthly or yearly level, please do so. But if you don't want to, if you just want to donate some cash, just go to my Instagram, go over to my Venmo account, and give me a tip if you're into it. But what I really want is for you to like, subscribe, rate and review this podcast on whatever streaming platform you are getting this at, okay? Wherever you're streaming us, go over there, give me a review, give me a like, please subscribe. It'd mean the world to me. And if you really want to go that extra mile, like I always ask, just share my posts on Instagram or Facebook. It goes a long way. Word of mouth makes or breaks any business, folks. So I'm not going to bore you with too many more of my ramblings. It is my pleasure to give to you Davy Furchow, Dry Wedding, on the book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Oh, that's the Gorilla Biscuits uh, pizza box. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see that one yet? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, did you order this by any chance? Yeah. Did you get a hold of it? I did. Okay, thank God because like I know people who still haven't gotten the Discord box sets. <laughs> yeah, and I mean they kept you know saying we'll make as many as people you know order, but for some reason a lot of people didn't know that, and then when once it was done being pressed and shipped, I know a lot of people who were scrambling to try and find one and then you know people were flipping them and um <laughs> just a vinyl collecting mess yes but i can't stand the whole like flipper mentality um just because i'm i'm a nerd collector um as you can see by the over seven thousand lps i have behind me currently um it's just it's a sickness i've been collecting them since 1988 yeah. Somewhere in there, you know. I, I, I don't follow a script. 
it's not in me to do so. I think that might be what people like about the show. I don't know. I don't even know if people do like the show. <laughs> but uh, I, I have to say, there's got there's something like in the air uh, in Portland. Um, I know Portland used to be a very dark place. I used to visit it quite frequently, and it wasn't what Portlandia was selling to people. It, it, there was a lot of dark shit happening in Portland. I know it's been gentrified. But do you think that like lends itself, like that darkness itself, um, that, that obsidian underbelly of of Portland? Do you think that lends itself to the the musical climate? Yeah, um, I think the connection I've always made is, you know, of course the weather, um, and then just the abundance of nature, the trees, you know, the forests, the mountains, um, and even you know other types of natural landscapes here in Oregon. They're just not. You know, the Oregon desert isn't like other deserts. The Oregon coast isn't like other beaches. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's kind of its own beast. Um, and I think that, I think there's a natural element that lends itself to that. And I think that there's also, um, you know, there's, there's just kind of this gloomy, you know, atmosphere, um, you know, throughout a, you know, good portion of the year so um people kind of hunker down during the colder rainier months and they work on art or music or you know whatever they happen to be into um there is oh wait there is something about the pacific northwest though that uh, it it has always lent itself to maybe not dark music per se but certainly uh things that went to extremes like you, you have in seattle the sonics way way back um moving into or even prequel to that Jimi hendrix then the sonics then you know the the whole uh pacific northwest hardcore scene which was vibrant and thrilling beyond belief uh be it the u-men be it the melvins uh and and then we get to like kind of what this new renaissance of, of of what the pacific northwest is really about to me with you guys uh soft kill grave babies like there, there's just this enclave of really incredible music that's happening there and it's it's almost i i wouldn't call it unsung because there is a serious underground uh, uh veracity for the consumption of this specific uh movement because it's not a genre everyone sounds different yeah. but it's it's a it's more a movement so like kind of where, where did you guys as a, a musical entity kind of like take root where where did it all start for you uh well actually um you know and i don't uh go around and uh sharing this with tons of locals but i grew up in southern california mm -hmm. uh, and then i moved to portland in 2017 so i've been here for five and a half years now and uh i mean even even a couple of weeks before I ha had even left California, I had Craigslist postings trying to find bandmates and put a band together up here. Uh, and then that, that took quite a bit of work and time and energy to get all of the right pieces for that. Um, you know, I played with a group of guys for the first nine or 10 months I was here and it just got to the point where I didn't, feel comfortable playing it out live or recording and to me that just 
was a definite sign that something wasn't clicking. Yeah. And so I basically, uh, you know, cleaned house and started from scratch and went back to Craigslist for more punishment. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then slowly, you know, then I started kind of piecing everything together um, and finally had a solid lineup, um, you know, that met, I won't say my expectations, but you know, I guess, you know, there were expectations. There are certain things I wanted to do and I wanted to find the right people to do them with. So that all kind of came together in 2018. And then we started playing out uh, January of 2019. So what were you doing prequel to that in, in California musically? Uh, well, I, the band I was in right before I moved was a band called Swampland. Um, kind of a, Basically, Dry Wedding is what I wanted Swampland to be. There was mm -hmm. like this, you know, we we took elements of, you know, Americana and country and blues and melded that with post-punk. But I was writing songs with a guy who was very much of the Cure and Smiths school. Mm -hmm. And so the songs had, you know, I guess more of a pop element. Uh, and I kind of wanted to push things in a slightly stranger direction. Uh, but, you know, it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, we did a full length and a couple of EPs. And then before that, I, I played pretty much exclusively in punk bands. I sang yeah. punk bands. So that was all my first exposure to the band thing. I think I think most of us who are in, in uh, I hasten to call it the alternative realm it's mostly it's punk and punk's children we started out playing in 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 punk or hardcore bands myself yeah. myself my a majority of my past lies in hardcore you know and and then you kind of pick up steam and and, and move in different directions and and things get pretty like staccato at that point but in all reality like this music that that everyone is kind of like gleaning their cues from be it you be it anyone else i'd mentioned uh earlier that they, they were all punks who grew up on the cure and depeche mode and sisters of mercy and all that stuff that was actually considered popular music when we were younger people um i i'm sure you're younger than me i'm fucking old as shit but <laughs> like like let's not forget 120 minutes was still on mtv when you were probably young you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, so th this stuff, like it had a home and it was considered popular music. It's very interesting that it, it came to ground and, and found different routes to Spain, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like it, it, people absorbed it and shot it through their own prisms. And now I think it's become better than it ever was. And that's not to take anything away from the cure. I named my daughter after a cure song or Depeche Mode or, or even Duran Duran, who I loved when I was a kid. But I think it's better now because it's it, it's uh it has more uh, touchstones. You know what I mean? Like there's there's more there's more behind it. You know because you're taking from like bands like Quicksand and My Bloody Valentine to you know like Adam and the Ants. Like it's all coming into play. But what I think you're doing very well is you're making actual gothic music, meaning there are, are very gothic elements to old country to old blues music you know bluegrass like there, there's very dark uh subject matter to be mined from these 
older, more an antiquated music styles. Um, take, for example, Robert Johnson, very dark. There are, we have so many examples of, of you know, mythos that, that comes from the dark side that's in, in our musical pasts that is very gothic without marrying like the Cleopatra records idea of like, you know, a goth per se. It's actual American, American Gothic. Like, yeah. You know, the, the, the couple with the pitchfork and the, the very stern looking, you know, that that's kind of what I, I get from what you're doing. Uh, could you kind of expound upon that? Like, like where your head was at when you were forming this idea? Yeah. Um, that no, I love that. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I would never, and, and I'm not knocking the goth moniker or anyone who identifies as goth, right? But I never uh, identify that way or identify the band that way. But uh, a phrase that I do use often is southern gothic, you know, kind of yeah. Cormac McCarthy, um, kind of southern gothic thing. So it's not, mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's not like a Cleopatra records goth uh approach or aesthetic it's it's more of like a william faulkner um you know flannery o'connor kind of <laughs> darkness yeah. that i'm that i'm interested in mining and you know i think it was kind of like what you were saying before you know where a lot of people have these punk roots but they're they're kind of dabbling in these other things as a fellow record nerd i'm sure you would probably agree with this. I I got to a point with punk in my teenage years, uh, you know, as I was getting closer to my 20s, where I felt like I knew a ton. And and of course, you know, I'm never going to know everything. But mm. I I wanted to take that passion and enthusiasm and apply it to different genres of music. Yeah. And so then that kind of just exploded my whole world. And I would go down these different rabbit holes. And I mean. Now I'm in my mid thirties and I'm still doing that constantly. I'm learning about new music all the time. Um, probably at an unhealthy rate. I probably don't retain all the things that I should retain or actually enjoy things. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, it's like eating without chewing first, just swallowing everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I got to a point where I was, I was, interested in all these different types of music and I could see that I was starting to gravitate towards the bands that I considered to be the type of band that was incorporating different elements and making something that felt unique, you know, which is a tall order when you have decades and decades of rock and roll and, and, you know, whatever else kind of, you know, that you're, you're trying to contribute to. And so I, I just got really into the idea of if I'm in a band, I want to at least attempt to combine things in an interesting way. I don't, again, and I'm not knocking anybody, I don't want to be a carbon copy of this band or that band. I, I really want to try and contribute to the discourse in a way that helps move things forward, even if it's a very, you know, small... <laughs> baby step forward um and i just yeah like you were saying i started connecting those dots where it's like oh i i'm coming out of punk but i'm into this weirder darker music 
But what about all this other stuff that is actually, you know, I would argue much darker and much more intense than some of this stuff that's labeled as goth. You know, a lot of that stuff to me is just, uh, you know, pop music fed through some chorus pedals. It's not, and I like some of that stuff too. I'm not, again, not not knocking that, but you know, that's, that's not what I was interested in making. And um, I feel like I've always done music that way where uh like i'm i'm equally as inspired by the things that i don't like and don't want to do as i am by the bands and music that i love so if i start seeing something pop up like oh all the post-punk bands are using a drum machine i want this guy who plays like he's in neurosis or the melvins like that's what i um and so and that's what happened so (laughs) see and and you bring up neurosis i mean these are bands that in my like in my mind have a gothic element acid bath is a perfect example they considered themselves to be a southern gothic band when you listen to acid bath there are elements of death metal and black metal there are elements of like you know alternative rock almost and and delta blues to me to uh, the the goth moniker you throw that away the actual idea of of something that's gothic it's it, i think of anything from bram stoker to cormac mccarthy something that conveys uh, uh an existential darkness something that you know you're, you're actually like laying bare something about yourself that you're terrified of and i think that's important in music when people aren't challenging the things that freak them the fuck out they're not actually facing humanity or or existence or reality you know so in essence i think what you do what neurosis does what acid bath did the melvins do it's all facing your own demons down and and that's important and it's brutally honest and it's fun to listen to because as much as i still love hardcore and punk and I love quote unquote goth music there, 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 you can, you can smell the dishonesty in a lot of it. Right. Yeah. Like you can pick up where they're just putting on airs, so to speak. This feels honest. You know what I mean? Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> and, and you know, in, in turn, what Casey does is very honest and very real. And, and it comes across to make that, come across very fluently on a piece of wax is phenomenal to me um so i have to ask you with that existence and existential dread uh looming large in the air uh do you have any idea what i'm gonna ask you uh, i have an idea yes. <laughs> yeah um what what is it that what is your existential terror what's that dread what's that thing looming around your head at all times you know it, this being January 6th, I could probably spout off a bunch of political stuff, but mm-hmm. I've actually been thinking about this a lot, you know, because I am familiar with your show and I knew you'd probably ask me this, <laughs> but the thing that I kept coming back to when I was thinking about how I would answer this is that um, I feel like the thing that's always looming for me is is just the aspect of time and how precious time is and how I question if I'm using my time effectively. Am I 
creating something that I can leave behind and maybe the world will be just a little bit better for it? Am I giving enough to the people I love and and contributing positively to the world in that way? Um, and I, I just, there are a million things I want to do. I always feel like there's not enough time. Everything for me always feels urgent. I have to do something now or it's never going to happen or somebody else is going to do it instead of me. Um, and so there's just always this battle with, with time and like, Oh, am I trying hard enough? Am I devoting myself to this enough? Um, and you know, cause I think one of the things that I struggle with the most is just a sense of balance because I'm yeah. either all about something or I don't care about it at all. And there's not a lot of things for me in that gray area. And so that could be <laughs> difficult to manage as I'm considering all these things. Am I living life in a way where I'll look back at my life and I'll say, yeah, I, you know, I did all right. I don't yeah. have opinion regrets. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I could probably talk about <laughs> this stuff for hours. Oh, as can I, and like, there's a reason why, you know, I kind of base the entire conceit of the show on just that because we're all terrified of something. It's almost a unifying theme. And, and that's what kind of like divides us from the divine because if, if, if we really did truly and heartily believe in some sort of deity higher power that we're going to ascend to after this, we wouldn't really be afraid of anything. Now would we, you know? No. Uh, I don't believe the people that say they're not afraid either. I'm like, nor do I, nor do I. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, Jean Paul Sartre was terrified of death and he is the father of existentialism. Uh, you know, like there's no escaping it. Like we're, we're alive, we're here and we're so terrified to let it go. I'm cards on the table. I'm 46 years old. I have a three-year-old son in the bedroom next. Uh, like, Time fucking terrifies me because when he's graduating high school, I'm going to be retired. If I get to retire, which I probably fucking won't, let's face facts, but I should be retiring at that point. Yeah. And men in my family don't last that long. And like that just it plays in my head. Like you, you have to be there for this kid to at least like get into college. <laughs> like it, it's terrifying. It's it's fucked up when you get into that headspace, especially when kids are involved. Yeah, I mean, I I think basically my rant was just a long way of saying I'm scared of death. Um, yeah, and we all are. And we all. <laughs> and are. and you know, I have. I mean, I have my my own personal reasons for that. I mean, I I don't think anyone necessarily needs a reason. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a terrifying idea to consider. I probably think about it more than the average person I would wager, uh, you know, and, and it all kind of goes back to when I was uh, 13 years old, I lost my father mm. and there are a lot of parallels between him and I, I was born on his birthday. I was named after him. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's very, it was very interesting to essentially see my name on a tombstone at age 13. Yeah. Different middle names, but you know. Um, same as my dad and I, different middle names, same last name. Uh, yeah. not, not the same birthday, but funnily enough, he has the same birthday as my wife and my wife's father. Oh, wow. 
yeah, I, I don't know if that was a, a smart decision on my part. Well, I married well, but fuck. <laughs> At least I don't forget birthdays in this house. Yeah, there you but go. There, you know, like accepting something like that so terribly young uh i mean at least at least i was pushing 40 when i lost my dad i can't imagine being like very young like that my wife was six months old she barely remembers her mother uh but man 13 that's a ripe age because you're already fucked up anyway as a teenager as a as a new teenager you know yeah your, your, your yeah, hormones was, are revolting against you and yeah, it was like a couple of weeks after my 13th birthday, so I was very freshly 13. <laughs> so, yeah, geez, I wonder why I write dark music. And, you know, furthermore, I, I kind of have to wonder, yeah, you're that age, this shit happens to you. Is that like right around the time when punk starts to loom large on your horizon? Well, it actually happened not too long after that. And actually, one of the sparks for that whole thing was um going through my dad's belongings after he passed away and he had some cassette tapes and i was going through his cassette tapes and most of them were just bad like 90s music um you know 311 and just like bad alternative rock stuff from that era yeah um but in in these tapes there was one tape that caught my eye um and it was black flags damaged wow and and it's and it's like the original i still have it it's the original unicorn records cassette tape Wow. and um i was like just so intrigued by the cover art of course and i was like black flag that sounds familiar um i'm gonna take this um and that just completely I mean, being like, you know, 13, 14 and hearing that, it just completely changed the way I thought about music forever. Uh, yeah. It's still my favorite punk record of all time. And it just, you know, I was like, I just had, I had never heard anyone play guitar like that. Just like everything about it. Um, so my, yeah, my whole world kind of flipped then. And then I started seeking out, you know, other punk stuff and um things kind of went from there and a few years later I was just like completely obsessed Yeah, well, I mean, if you start Black Flag, that's kind of 
<laughs> you, you're already in the thick of it at that point. There's a there's something to be said about that band specifically too, because you have a bunch of the most extreme personalities on planet Earth, and you have a, <laughs> you have a guitar player who's a massive deadhead but wants to create music that like completely melts human faces. And uh, at that time, you've got Henry Rollins in the band, which he, he becomes a contentious figure among black flag elitists. I'm not one of those that thinks poorly of him. I kind of think Damaged is their best album next to My War. Um, but that's just, their very existence was brutal. Mm-hmm. No wonder the music sounded the way it did. Where, where does your kind of journey go from there? Then, like you find you find punk and core. Where do you find the darker, more post-punk stuff? Where does that come into play for you? Well, you know, I so right after the Black Flag thing happened, I kind of, you know, I. Like this might, you know, clue you into how my brain works, but I was like, oh, I want to go back to the beginning of punk, mm-hmm. and I want to see like wh- how where that started, what it sounded like at first. And to me, at the time, you know, I was I was into like some classic rock stuff, and to me, like learning about like the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex Pistols and all this late '70s punk stuff was like the bridge from like what I used to like, you know, to what I like now. Um, and then you know got obsessed with 80s hardcore that was kind of my bread and butter for a long time um but like the yeah i felt always a little more drawn to the bands i think that were you know darker or you know whatever adjective you'd like to use Uh, i also like kind of instantly took to the the bands that uh push boundaries you know bands like flipper uh you know stuff like that i was also into that sort of stuff and then like you know pulling in things um you know like wire and uh i got just completely obsessed with the wipers and Mm -hmm. you know i mean like as far as like gloomy punk goes it doesn't get better than that uh yeah and so it's just like you know as i continued on i just started kind of plucking these things and there was like you know the classic uh you know post-punk bands like Bauhaus and Joy Division all that stuff you know it was punk adjacent enough to where it was like an easy sell for me I was like yep um I like that uh but then yeah like I said when I started branching out more and I mean I don't I don't think this is gonna surprise anyone that's listened to our music but um when I was in high school my stepbrother gave me uh a burn cd (laughs) of um the birthday party's prayers on fire oh yeah and at the time my brain i just i i don't think i could fully connect with it yet i don't think my musical palette was sophisticated enough at that point but then as i got you know as i graduated high school and got into college i was like yeah i want to i kind of want to revisit that and listening to it at that point it just completely clicked with me um and then again, I did the the same thing I did with punk, where I'm like, I'm gonna go back to Nick Cave's, you know, origins. I'm gonna get into the boys next door, and then all the birthday party stuff, and then go through all the bad seed stuff. Yeah. And you know, as as I was getting into that, I was learning about all these other, you know, old 
uh, Australian post-punk bands and all these different post-punk bands from, like you know. When NXS was still awesome, and they were awesome. People don't understand how good NXS was before they became massive. Like yeah. they were, they were very adjacent to a lot of that stuff. Um, that, that's an aside. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I, I'm, I have a very, very big hard on for that early NXS shit. It just, it was potent, to say the least. Yeah. I don't know if you ever did a deep dive on that stuff, but it's phenomenal. You know what? I, I haven't. I, you know, when I think of Australian bands that I was getting into around that time, it was bands like The Scientists and yeah. um, Beasts of Bourbon and um, you know, Crime in the City Solution, you know, bands like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, like I was saying before, I get, you know, interested in an idea something creates that spark and all of a sudden I'm learning about, you know, post-punk from all over the world. And at that point it felt like a very natural progression for me and what I was doing creatively. Uh, you know, until I got into Nick Cave, I didn't even know that singing in like a baritone register was something that worked for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and before I was just playing in, you know, hardcore punk bands where I was shouting and my voice kind of naturally went, to a higher register because I was yelling. Um, mm -hmm. And then once I started getting into, you know, um, people like, uh, I completely worship Scott Walker. He's my favorite mm -hmm. singer of all time. And so like, fucking good. My yeah, God. Like, I just started gravitating towards voices like his. And of course, you know, Nick Cave and Mark Lanigan and people with like these really cool, you Mark know. Lanigan. Oh, poor Mark Lanigan. <laughs> poor Mark Lanigan. Um, but yeah, but like, I mean, and then, so I was like, oh my God, like, not only can I do that, but it feels very comfortable for me. And so that also kind of broke open some new things. And Mark Lanigan's a good through line for you too, because he was on SST records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. But when you think about the birthday party, that as much as I love all Nick Cave, there's something about him matched up with who i feel is easily the greatest guitarist of that era you know i mean like you're talking about a guy who was so fluent but he he decided to instead treat his guitar like a buzzsaw there's something I think my favorite guitar player of any genre of any musical yeah. movement i you know and i think that like I said, I don't think that would be surprising to anybody either. I'm a big Roland S. Howard guy for sure. Roland, his solo work was, is so underappreciated. I was so happy to see it get reissued recently, the, the, the first couple records. Anyway, Roland S. Howard has, uh, he, he had his finger on the pulse of something that no one truly understood, I feel. Yeah. There, he was like an, he was like the Alistair Crowley of 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 post punk almost, you know, because there there was something Stygian and and and, and it, it's almost as if he he was in touch with something else, and no one could really understand it. He he did albums that completely missed everyone, and I'll not, I don't I just don't get it how people weren't picking up on this and and consuming it. At, at like a, a psychotic rate blows my <laughs> mind it blows my mind but you know that's another person i could just go on about roland s howard um so 
let's get to your first record then. You finally get a band together that you can work with. Um, the writing process for that must have been pretty intense, just predicated upon the output. You know, that album is kind of an emotional roller coaster. What was like, what was the lyrical writing? How was that? How did that come to pass? Oh, um, I mean, that's that's interesting that you <laughs> that you describe it as an emotional roller coaster. So it, it, it fucking is. <laughs> so uh, when I when I moved to Portland, I moved with a woman I was dating at the time. And uh, things were a little shaky even before we moved. Um, and I think now looking back that, you know, in all honesty, I just really wanted to make the move and was probably afraid to do it on my own. And so I was just really hoping that things would work out. Um, and they didn't. And things, <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm writing this record like in our, you know, basement with, you know, my bandmates and, um, you know, writing these lyrics as I'm navigating this very um, intense relationship. I mean, it was very dramatic and a lot of like a lot of things happened that I never thought I would experience or tolerate within a loving relationship. Um, I've been I've been yeah. in this relationship ago. <laughs> and so actually, um, we had a bass player who played with us, uh, you know, for the first little bit. I think he played like the first six months of live shows. And then he was like, yeah, this, you know, I want to go do other stuff. This isn't really working for me. And we said, OK, so I went back to Craigslist in the you know summer of 2019. We got a new bass player who is, you know, still our basis to this day and basically we're like cool this guy the old guy's gonna play one last show with us we would like you to play the show with us that we have booked two months away from now and then we also want you to learn all of these songs and record with us you know a month or two after that and so all the songs except for one were already written the very last song this contagious room we wrote as like this new lineup. And I mean, that's the one that I think is most telling about what was going on at the time. Cause I'm writing that. And at that point, her and I are on a break, but living together. And um, yeah, it was just, I
I think that's apparent. I think that comes through quite quite simply uh, upon first listen. Yeah. Now, you're going through all of this, and you're dealing with shadows of the past. And there's a uh, not only the, the the specter of you know a father lost looming large on your horizon, but you have this this inconstant woman, to say the least, uh, in your midst, and you're cohabitating. Where what takes precedence? I I would assume the immediate, right? Yeah. Um. What do you mean by that exactly? What takes precedence as far as the voice of 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 the output? Just this, just the the immediate situation. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know when I when I approach songwriting, um, you know, of course, if there are things that are currently impacting me, they might find their way into what I'm doing. But I also I, I won't call them rules, but I'm very um, meticulous as far as when I look at the, like, oh, these songs are all going on the same album. And I want to make sure that I, I'm not like hammering on a subject too much, that I'm not reusing certain words too much. I'm, you know, like I comb through these things and, um, you know, try and make sure that I'm, I'm remaining diverse and I'm not getting too stuck in my own ways. And so I think if there's, if, if you see like, you know, cause not every song on that record is about what I was going through at that time. Um, mm -hmm. Clearly there are a few, um, but you know, there's also, yeah, like a song about my dad on there and there's one about him on the second album as well. Um, you know, and just whatever other topics or, you know, like you were saying before demons that I'm confronting about myself and who I am. Well, you're not spelling it out, is what I'm saying. Like, it, like it leaves a lot of room for inference and for internalization on the part of the listener. What I mean by that is, you're leaving it oblique enough that it's you. Get one, uh, the listener, the beholder, can make it applicable to their own personal life. It's not like my dad died. I'm fucked up. The end. You know, you're not spelling things out. It, 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 it. it it has that 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 poetic license where it can become very personal to someone uh just via inference you know what i'm saying and that's yeah. important that's an important uh uh kind of point of view to take as a writer not to inject too much uh of yourself or of of you know what is you know what is <laughs> and 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 spell that out you, you kind of let it be its own little universe unto itself uh thereby making it less just about the subject more about the emotion and that's that's a great thing that's very refreshing i always enjoy lyrical content uh that takes that point of view because a i'm selfish as we all are and b um you know, I, I, I'd gone to school uh, to become a literature professor. I never finished. I have my BA. That got me exactly nowhere. But my appreciation for the written word renders it such that when I see lyricism of, of that degree, taking that point of view, it's inspiring to me. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think with 
the newest record you do so even more but it's also less of a roller coaster but darker i think this is the darker of the two to be honest with you yeah so uh i can't believe my face froze in that in that way i'm looking at it right now i look ridiculous it's beautiful but um uh well as compared to the first record what where was your head at with the second yeah i mean i think coming out of that situation there were still some things i was trying to work through uh and so you know some some of the songs were definitely based on on me still trying to kind of shake that all off um now i'm just trying to think of all the all the songs on that album in my head um yeah i just i i it's interesting that you say that because that you know the way i approach lyric writing is is you know i think you're pretty spot on um I, you know, for example, I was like, I'm not going to write a COVID song. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I refuse to do that. I don't like to write things that, um, that like really date a song and just kind of place it in a very specific time and place. I try to write things in a way where it could apply to any year or era, really. Um, you know, so I'm not going to be singing about modern day technology or anything like that, probably. Yeah. Um you know, I was like, oh, but like, but like what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing during, you know, um, being in quarantine and things like that, I wanted to express that. And so usually like if I'm experiencing something like that, I will, I will focus on the feelings that thing evokes. I'll try to, instead of being like, I feel this way, you know, which is super abstract, I, I try to use very concrete, you know, imagery to illustrate whatever that feeling or thought is, and then bring it back in at one point where there is like, you know, maybe it's a chorus or a bridge or something where it's, you know, I view it kind of as the the point of the song where if you're, if you're like, what's, what are all the, like, what are all these crazy, weird, dark images? You can, there's the, there's the point in the song where you're like, oh, like, that's something that I can identify with. Um, and so like, yeah. Um, why am I blanking on the name of my, my own song? Like frayed rope was like yeah. my, was my COVID song, but it's not about COVID at all. Um, you know, um, grave mistakes is about my father. That one, I kind of wanted to twist uh, what you were actually praising me for. And I tried to be a little more specific about my particular situation. I was, I was trying to experiment with this kind of mountain goats esque like level of detail. Um, Cause I sometimes, you know, um, also really enjoy songs that do that. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I think again, like mutiny is like, you know, all of these, images of things being hogtied and confined, but they're all like feelings inside of me that are experiencing this and then they are unleashed. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of, like I said, I just, I look at something or um, depraved estate is, is kind of about my habit of collecting things. <laughs> uh, but instead of being like, I spend too much money on records uh, you know, it's it's about uh, you know the 
the persona that I take on is like, has this filth kind of like spreading out all over their property and all of these wild decorations in their yard. And, um, you know, I talk about being carried away, like, you know, metaphorically and actually literally being carried away. So <laughs> I, just, I like to like play around with, you know, all that type of stuff. And you were saying you went, you know, you study literature. I have a creative writing degree. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's the unusable degree. I'm a pipe fitter by trade, so I, I don't get to use. Uh, well, I'll I'll put it to you diff in a different way. I'll, I'll, I'll skew it differently. I realized that <laughs> I, I could either be a tech writer for the rest of my life, which was my initial vocation directly thereafter uh, college uh, or become a teacher, which I would have despised wholeheartedly because a, they just get treated like trash and B don't make as much money as they deserve. Or I could go into the vocation that my father had passed on to me, which was pipe fitter plumber. And that made the most money and that made the most sense. And that, took the least uh, emotional toll on, on my psyche. So I said, you know what? Um, I already know how to do this. I could go into this and be the best, uh, the best apprentice on planet Earth because I'd already been abused into being fantastic at it by my father. <laughs> so I may as well just do it. And that's what I did. Um, but it didn't dissuade me or disabuse me of my passion for the written word and yeah. I, I i recognize your fluence and literacy uh it, w within the context of uh, of storytelling uh based upon the lyrical content because i i do kind of get lost in it and a lot of people i i don't i think they they latch on to uh the phonetics and and how uh you know a vocal melody is presented but they don't really adhere to lyricism the way punks do. I think it's a very punk rock thing to dissect lyrics and to get so deep into, you know, the meaning behind it and, and how it pertains to you. And maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe there are, you know, jam band fans who dig into fish lyrics, but I sincerely doubt it. Um, I, I think that's a very punk aesthetic. It's a very uh, uh, a precept of of what it is to be a punk rocker to codify lyrics as as a personal like mission statement. Do you yeah. agree? Like it like it, it it becomes almost part and parcel to a a, a religious experience within music for me. Uh, Neurosis is a great example, although they've had their travails certainly with one member and it's the rest of them. It's not their fault. They're still brilliant and incredible and make the most sublime music ever written. But, um, their lyrics can be almost haiku at times, much like discharges. Lyrics can be like haiku, just oh, yeah. rep repeated phrases, but there's something epic and grandiose and, and spiritual about, you know, Steve on Till's lyricism that just catches me and, and like the song, the doorway off of uh, uh shit right after through silver and blood, your favorite album, Pete. 
God damn it. Anyway, the song The Doorway by Neurosis, people, look it up. Um, the, the lyrics are simple, but they paint such an almost Bob Dylan-esque picture of apocalyptic landscapes and, and human tribalism that you can almost feel yourself, you know, putting like home-fashioned face paint on and, and marching into battle. And it feels very tactile. I think especially on your second album it, it's that tactile it's it's that relatable and that almost spiritual that i i kind of want that's why i wondered like what more so went into the second record the first record is fantastic this one like number one sway is my favorite song by the rolling stones so i i kind of want to believe that you were like yeah i love that song too i'll name the album that i'm sure that's not what it is <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite Stone song, and it's a it's a demonic song at best. But with that inference in mind, it, there there is something demonic about this album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, actually, the I named it Sway just because I started seeing this pattern with some of my lyrics, you know, for the record, like you know, where I was using essentially different synonyms for like something swaying. I use the word undulating in one song and I just started to see this common thread. I mean, I think even to songs I've written, you know, prior to that album. Um, and I was like, yeah, sway just seems like kind of like this through line. Um, you know, I feel like I'm always writing about things that are swaying or jittering or, you know, whatever <laughs> the case may be. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, that'll work that's funny then because like there's the lyrical content of the song sway by the rolling stones it's it's about the demon of addiction it's just that demon while it's got you in its sway and you you picture the cover of your record and it's like this desiccated goat creature almost right and and that's it's still adjacent to the stones so there's like this weird through line to that 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 came to mind and they do have a gothic bent on sticky fingers that continued yep. into exile on main street but you may not be as much of a stones freak as i am there but i i don't i don't know why i equate the two as as being in the same league but i kind of do because that is a southern gothic record as well by a bunch of british people <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, how, you know, when we were approaching the, the second album, it was, I think, and, you know, when we're doing this right now as we're writing the third, it's, you know, looking back at the last one and going, okay, what did we like? What did we not like? What can we further expand upon and explore? How, like, do we want to take this element and push it this way? Do we want to, like, you know, try this thing we never did on the last record at all? Um, and I think just because at that point we were this unified unit, we had been playing out, we had recorded an album together, uh, you know, that process just, um, just got that much smoother and we started just to be able to kind of pick up on things super quickly, you know, develop that inner band language. And, uh, you know, so there were like things that were very intentional. It's like, okay, we want, um, We'll call we'll call the faster ones a burner. We're like, all right, we want to write a burner. So then we wrote Out of Reach, which was one of the songs that was about my um, former partner. Um, mm -hmm. 
and um you know and then we're like oh when we want to do like a slower song and we want you know and and that's yeah like i said that's how we're kind of approaching as we're writing this third one um and yeah i think we wanted to cover more ground um you know genre wise and inspiration wise but we also wanted it to feel more cohesive somehow um that was kind of the big push like let's cover more ground but let's have it feel like this like intentional you know piece of music where all the songs complement one another um and i felt like we did a better job of that on the the second one and hopefully we do an even better job <laughs> in this time around um, so i guess we'll see
one of those people that I get I get that high and then I'm like, okay, well, what's what's next? What what's going to give me that charge again yeah. as soon as possible? Um, and so for people that don't experience that ever or you know seldomly experience that, it's I don't I I wouldn't know how to live that way. Um, here's the here's the interesting yin and yang of that too, because one can see that or construe that as being pleasure seeking and and fleeting i you disagree I, I, I addictive like because i you know also cards on the table i'm in recovery from opioid addiction but there's i don't see it as in so much as pleasure seeking as I, i'm trying to dip my toes back into something that's uh perennial something that that has always existed and will always exist it's an aspect of of art and sex and culture that is very spiritual and not spiritual as in god or or satan or or jehovah or whatever the fuck you want to call it it's more to do with uh the beauty of humanity as as the spiritual art as the spiritual sex as the spiritual love as the spiritual poetry all of you know what i mean yeah i'm so enamored of that and can extol and expound upon the virtues of that for hours and i make myself sound like i'm up my own ass and i'm not it's just it's love i'm truly in love with all of these things to the point where i have to make a podcast about it and talk to musicians about it and you know what i mean yeah what what, what is if you can't think of that record that was like a holy grail what were the records that outside of black flags damage that did that for you um, well okay one that immediately pops to mind um so i was recording with my band swampland we were doing our full length and um i shared some of the rough you know mixes with with a friend of mine um and she said oh are you into 16 horsepower and I said, I don't, I've never listened to that band before. And she was like, oh, well, based on the music you're making, um, you know, I think that you would really like 16 horsepower. And I said, okay. Um, and so I tracked down sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I still like, I mean, this was, this must've been like 2015 or so. Um, I mean, there's not a day, there's not more than a few days that go by that I don't listen to either 16 horsepower or woven hand. Um, and those became just, I mean, David Eugene Edwards and all of the projects he's been involved in. And they were just, I, I mean, I, I like, I'm at a loss for words because still it's just like every time I hear it, like I'm getting goosebumps right now, even just mm -hmm. thinking about it. It's just so incredibly powerful to me. And it made me, think about music differently. Um, it made me, you were talking about this idea of the spiritual. I'm not a religious person at all. Um, but I wanted, after getting into 16 horsepower and woven hand, I wanted to think about how my songs could operate on some sort of spiritual level, even if I'm not a believer, you know? Um, and so I wanted, I wanted to try and have my songs do more and mean more. Um, and so that's, that's something that I've kind of been chasing ever since.
That's it's, I, I'm surprised that you didn't name uh, Dragline by the band Paw because that's who Swamplands actually reminds me the most of. Paw, P A W. They I, were, I never listen. You never listen to Paw. If you love 16 horsepower, you're going to listen to Dragline and you're going to message me uh, 45 minutes later and thank me profusely. Um, they had a few albums, brilliant. Uh, the vocalist slash lyricist, another English major poet, writer, brilliant human being, tortured soul. Um, they, it was like bluesy, hardcore inflected, dirgy, just gorgeous Southern Gothic music. <laughs> and, and like Converge cites them as one of their major influences. Stark, oh, Stark Weather, like the heaviest, most psychotic band from Pennsylvania of all time, cites them as a major influence. This band, uh, okay, yeah, it's it, your old band reminds me of this band, and the fact that you don't know about them, I have to put an emphasis on this. You need to listen to Paw Dragline and Paw Death to Traitors. These two records will fucking blow your mind, change your life. I actually have an extra copy of uh, uh, Death to Traitors on vinyl. So if you listen to it and you fall in love with it, I will send it to you. Okay. All right. I, will I, check pro it. I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds good to me. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we talked about the birthday party being that for me too. You know, I was like coming from punk and playing in bands where the bass player was just basically following what the guitar player was doing. So when I heard the birthday party, I was like, what? You can play different things at the same time that yeah. complement each other musically? You know, um, so that was a, a big pivot point for me. Um, trying to think of other bands that just, I mean, Swans, you know. Swans. Oh. Another, another big one for me that... Um, also just made me want to approach things differently, especially like those early nineties records where you've got this beautiful balance of just like this haunting beauty and just like pummeling hard, like heavy, you know, like that was kind of, I mean, that, that balance is something that I, I try to hit a lot um, when I'm working on stuff. Um, so that's that would be another one. I know I'm like I'm like looking around in here. Um Slint Spiderland is another one like that for me too, actually. Oh yeah? Yeah, spy there's something about Spiderland that, that marries the sublime and the vulgar so beautifully that it almost feels dirty to listen to it. Like like watching one of those Mexican death videos in the in like the early nineties. Like you're looking at people actually dying and you're like, oh, but you can't look away. <laughs> Faces of death. Yeah, faces of death, but more so the, the 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 those Mexican death magazines and videos that that were making the rounds in the metal scene back in the late eighties and early nineties. They're just ugh, vicious, horrifying to watch. But you're like looking through your fingers still. Like you can't unsee it, but you can't stop seeing it. Um, that's how like slint was for me. That's how. When Neurosis first came out with uh, Souls at Zero, mm. that oh, album, 
introduction to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they stopped being like a crossed band and started being like some like what we know as neurosis. They started yeah. being actually neurosis. It scared me. Music doesn't often do that. Like shakes me, makes me it creeps me out. It's like walking into a haunted house. I told Steve Von Till this actually when he was on the show that the first time I heard Souls at Zero, it felt like I was walking into a house that was haunted. And he got it because, you know, he he's a spiritual guy in his own way too. Yeah. Like it, it felt like something was watching me when I was listening to it. He loved that. <laughs> okay. I thought of, I thought of two more. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned Scott Walker earlier. That was, like I said, I just, I became completely obsessed with him. The old croony stuff and the insane old man Scott Walker stuff. I, yeah. I, of course, like the singing, like I, if I could sing like young Scott Walker, I would, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Like that's, that's my ultimate goal that I know I will never reach. But I like the, some of the later music stuff, you know, like kind of this, these blocks of sound, as he called them, I find very inspiring okay. too. And I think some of that stuff is the most terrifying music ever made. Um, I don't know if you listen to any of those later Scott Walker records, but they're... I, I, ne I never stopped listening to Scott Walker. <laughs> yeah. Um, that one and um, Dead Moon was also a big pivot point band for me. Um, you know, there's just so much about what they stood for and what they did musically that I appreciate so so much see and and that's where i make the con like the concession that that's what that's what is gothic about music that is what is stygian dark um it's not putting on white makeup and and you know playing disco beats and moaning over them it, it's more to, it's it's and you know that's what a lot of them do and it, I, Listen, one of my all-time favorite bands is Lycia, and they get mislabeled as goth all the time. Yeah. But, you know, like these, like, I, I don't want to call out names because there's so much good in that scene, but there's so much bad, too. Um, that's basically what they're doing, you know? It's like, they're, it's a disco beat, riding a hi-hat, you know? like just There's an oversaturation of that. I talk about that all the time. Um, yeah. And like I said, a lot of this stuff sounds more like pop music or club music to me. It doesn't really have what I would call like a gothic feel. And I mean, that's fine. Um, there's just a lot of that stuff that I don't particularly take an interest in. Um, you know, my, my assertion was if you're going to have the balls to call yourself gothic, give me the creeps, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me the goods. Yeah, exactly. Like the goods be as be as creepy as you're trying to be um, yeah i mean I, th I felt like that way too when i was playing in hardcore punk bands i was like i was like these bands are singing about pizza and skateboarding and they sound all pissed off that's not authentic like i'm gonna be mad about everything i sing about and write about because that's the only thing that like feels right to me and and so i like and then also too i was like i want to sing like more aggressive and i want this to be harder because these yeah. you know, it's like i said i always i'm always reacting to things that i'm seeing happening and that's a big part of what pushes me into the weird 
you know, stuff that I, I think is cool or want to pursue. Well, that's, that's why, like, right after the youth crew movement, the, the, the big movement that really grabbed me was power violence when Infest came out and founded it. Uh, because some of it could be cartoony in its violence and its anger, but it, to me it seemed like it was like bands like Man is the Bastard were taking hardcore to extremes that it should have been taken to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, I, I, I had a like Charles Bronson's another great example. Like that was or Drop Dead. These are bands that like, yeah, that's what hardcore is supposed to be. It's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be almost unlistenable to a point because it's so pissed off. Los Crudos is a fucking phenomenal example of that. They, they need to be pissed about the right things. And I felt the same way you did. That's why like I started playing in grindcore bands at a certain point because it wasn't hardcore wasn't hard enough. It wasn't yeah. austere and real enough. Um, and that gets old. And then at some point or another, I'm like, I'm just going to listen to the Jayhawks and leave it all alone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think right around the time when Chamberlain stopped being like an emo band and started being an Americana band, like I, I started to think like, yeah, the album No Depression is probably better than 90% of the stuff coming out on Revelation Records anyway. So I'm going to kind of go this route and listen to Whiskey Town a lot. <laughs> And, and I, I think a lot of us went through that phase and started wearing more denim. But, uh, you, you know, you, you find the real in everything uh, if you are willing to dig in independent music. I think you can always distill the bands that are truly important within the context of scenes and stuff like that. Like, when the emo thing was big for me... Uh, like you know texas is the reason was around and and mineral and sunny day real estate like the cream always rose to the top and all the other offshoots you just kind of tolerated and they went away um i think there was a distinct movement in the early 2000s where all of that was out the window and we were just kind of fucked in hardcore and punk you know what i mean yeah because like with the exception of a couple bands like american nightmare everybody else was just kind of like throwaway, and that would have been when you were late teens early 20s right around what year like the early 2000s like no, i was uh i graduated high school in 2005 so i was 18 in 2005 right so when i started like my first real band and that that all came about because i we were going to see these old you know 80s hardcore bands and old punk bands come through town and the bands that would open for them were these like middle-aged bar punk bands that were super cheesy and yeah we're like we want to like the, our whole idea starting the band was oh let's let's play it in a in a band that's like a band we would want to see open for these bands. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we were involved in this scene where there was, it was just, I mean, it was very like eighties hardcore worship. Like, I mean, my band, all these other bands that sprouted up around that time, there was this whole, like between like 2005, 2010, all of these, you know, bands emulating that, you know, eighties hardcore sound. So that's, 
that's where I, I learned all the, you know, tricks of the DIY trade and yep. learned how to tour and put out records and do all that stuff. So, um, so you probably owned a copy of book your own life and all that. Yeah. 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 That's fucking brilliant. I, uh, I mean, when we were, when my original bands would be touring, I had a dialer. Did you ever hear the stories about dialers? No. What it was, was they, a dialer was like a little, it had a phone, like, like number pad on the back of it. And on the front had a speaker. You were supposed to hold it up to a payphone and type your code in so you could listen to your voicemail when you're away from home. It was well before cell phones were really a big thing. Yeah. Uh, so you could go to, if you were industrious enough, which I was, you could go to Radio Shack and buy a certain crystal that you could solder into the breadboard on it. And it makes, it fools the phone company into thinking you're dropping nickels into a payphone. Oh, wow. So you were just getting free phone calls then? Free, free phone calls. We would book everything, make long distance calls. Like I would call Discord House, like just crazy shit. And, set up tours and, and and kind of like make our own little internal commerce happen off of stealing from the phone company and then we kind of got into stealing phone cards from major label bands which that was another thing but before that we had the dialers and it was this own it, it was a, like a little network within hardcore like only hardcore kids knew about this shit it was it was fun it was a fun aspect of that scene back in those days <laughs> yeah it sounds like it i mean i i remember the early tours that i was a part of you know we we had the printed out map quest directions like there weren't gps devices readily available at that point so you know if we got lost or something we would have to call somebody and or try to make sense of these, you know, printed maps or whatever we had with us. So, um. <clears throat> yeah, we we used to use the road atlases in yeah. in, in in my uh, my my uh, salad days. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> but um, if we could kind of like circle back a little bit, just for a second, um, when it all shook out with the woman in question from the first record why how how was it that like how did you decide that you were going to stay in portland well i mean at that point you know i mean i i had difficulties with the relationship but i was completely in love with portland i had wanted to move here for several years um and so when that was all kind of falling apart there there was no question in my mind you know i i knew i was going to stay in portland but then <laughs> Then I was, you know, I was like, but I don't, I don't want to give up having a practice space in my house. It was an incredible thing to experience living in Portland because I never had that in California. Yeah. And so I started kind of looking around at, you know, potential options, um, you know, because I needed to move out. And I had actually my bandmate and his partner had just bought a house. And I was like, well, hey, like if they pulled it off maybe I could pull it off. And so I started kind of doing some digging, doing my research and I was like, yeah, I could, I could do it. And so I, <laughs> I went, I went to the lady in question and I was like, Hey, I am starting to look around, but just so you know, I've decided to buy a house. So it takes a month 
to close. And so you'll just have to like be cool with me staying here a little longer because at that point I felt entitled yeah. Yeah. To, to say that that's what was happening because I had, I had been just, I mean, I won't get into any of the gory details, but I had been put through the ringer, you know, day in and day out for, I don't, you know, I don't even know how long, but so I was just like, yeah, sorry. Like that's what's happening now. And um, so I, I ended up, you know, uh, actually funny enough, I bought a house like around the corner from that house, but it was far enough away for me to feel like I was, I was safe now. Um, and then, yeah, and then had to, you know, build out a new space there. Um, and then, yeah, just started, started writing the second record there and then now i'm i'm in a different house than that house and i built a practice space out here and um yeah and we're just plugging away at the, at the next one everything okay oh yeah everything's perfect he's dead asleep that's where we want him uh, <laughs> so i guess to kind of like wind things down you you made it past all of that now we're into the uh writing process of record number three how close are you to that milestone like finishing it um well i mean we still got a a ways to go uh songwriting has gotten very intense for us i mean the first song we finished for this new record we'll be doing i think we did like four or five different versions of this song before we were happy with it. And now we think it's like the new benchmark for us as far as songs are concerned. But, um, you know, I think, you know, kind of building off of what we did on the second record where, you know, we um, tried to make the arrangements, um, you know, interesting and kind of keep you on your toes, um, you know, still considering that but like i said before using the idea of okay what did we do that we liked and just like we want to push things to like further extremes uh want to play around with um you know aspects that were not um super i won't say skilled at but that we haven't really explored that much like doing things with like you know passages that are more like minimalist um, things like that. So we've been playing around with a bunch of stuff. We have multiple songs that are like in the works where musically they're maybe like three quarters of the way done. Uh, we have a couple songs that are done completely. Um, and then a few more that are just kind of starting to, you know, be formed. Uh, but the goal is to hopefully have enough for another full length and you know record again before the end of the year so so will we see a physical copy physical version of sway yeah that'll be out um so we're touring in march we're doing a west coast tour and i was told by the plant that if there are no unforeseen delays that we should have them in time for our tour. So I'm thinking we'll more than likely have the records by March. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I need, I need one. Well, 
<laughs> well, I'll scratch one for you. You just gotta let me know too, because we have there are gonna be three different color variants. Oh, nice. You have to tell me. I have a feeling you're gonna want the hand poured gold and dark red. Sounds sounds like it's up my alley. Yeah, yeah. The weird, <laughs> the weird, the weirder and more, uh, more like rare, the better for me, obviously. But um, you know, the first record only came out on black, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's cool. At least you're getting three variants this time around, and it's you're doing it all yourselves, right? Yeah. The first one we split with the label. Um. But honestly, I I haven't really seen anything happen on that end of things, so I'll probably end up <laughs> buying those copies back at some point from from the label. And then this, yeah, this new one, we're you know, it's just us, the band, doing it. And hopefully, you know, uh, we have a few friends who want to connect us with some labels who might be interested in album three. So once the these songs are you know in fine form, we'll send over some practice recordings and gauge interest that way. So, yeah, I can't imagine uh, it not gleaning some sort of interest. I, I mean, it's the right time right now. To me, it seems like not only uh, does dark music have a new renaissance on the horizon, but music that kind of skirts genre is especially in favor currently, because I think, the people even younger than yourself, like my my daughter, who's 21, like that age into underground music, genre isn't really a worry anymore. They're not like yeah. they're not like married to or codified. Like I'm a hardcore kid. I'm I'm this. I'm I'm a goth. I'm that. It's it's just more about this is really good. I'm going to champion this. And that's refreshing. I, I think this younger generation of, of kids coming up are possibly the coolest I've ever seen. Because not only are they like that with music, but they're like that with, you know, gender identity and, and culture. Like they're just, they're so much fucking cooler than we were, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my, that's always been my major gripe is how, uh, you know, clicky music scenes and, you know, just, I mean, being a teenager, it, you know, in itself is you get pushed or assigned to clicks or you're, you don't fit in here and there's this group and there's that group. And I never really understood all of that. I like to bounce around and, uh, you know, engage with different types of people. Um, and although I, you know, clung to punk as an identity when I was young, because yeah. it helped me develop my sense of self, I also at one point just very much push back against that. I'm like, the punkest thing I can do is whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like now, like you were saying, the kids, it's not, there aren't concerns with, um, oh, I belong to this group uh, or, you know, um, and I, I do find that very refreshing. And also, you know, as someone who makes music that doesn't really fit neatly anywhere, I, I hope the youngins take to it. Oh, I'm quite sure they will. So I think and to like put a fine point on all this and kind of wrap it up, if you were to kind of like tell <clears throat> that 20-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid what your band was about, what your, your music is about, what the, the, the unifying theme is, what would you tell that person? Um, I would tell them that Casey Logan is in my house. Hi, Casey. 
<laughs> and Casey Logan's dog. Hi again, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> so the the question was, what would I, how would I describe our music to yeah, a like, or twenty year old kid? Yeah, this this young kid who's who's like thirsty for something real, you know, like and they don't care about what it's codified as, what it's what it's what name it's given. Well, how would you approach that? How would you sell that to them? That's interesting because I, you know, I, I'm sure you've probably experienced this too when people, you know, come up to you and they go, "Yo, you're in a band. What does your band sound like?" Yeah. It's really, it's just such a strange thing to to answer because you don't know what like what those that what that person's point of reference is, what what they're into, what they know about. Like, you know, I could say to one person, like, oh, we're inspired by the birthday party. And they would go, oh, well, cool. And then another person I could say, oh, you know, we're inspired by post-punk. And they go, I don't know what post-punk is. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I, I usually my go-to move is like, oh, here's a link. You just listen to it and you tell me. Yeah. You tell me what it sounds like. But I think, I think I would maybe you know thinking with this generation in mind try to speak to um that there is a lot of attention paid to the lyrical content that it is dealing with some of these you know heavier issues and and kind of hitting these you know personal demons head on but through a more poetic lens um and also just kind of speaking to the overall tone and mood of the music. I, you know, I, I throw around words like, oh, we're a heavy twangy post-punk band or whatever. But I think if I was having a heart to heart conversation with a young person that I would just, I would just try to kind of discuss the mood. Um, you yeah. know, I want, I want it to be cathartic. I would want to explain that I want it to be something that, that they can connect with and feel a sense of catharsis. And maybe if they're dealing with similar emotions that they feel like they're not alone in those emotions. For me, when people are like, Oh, you listen to like sad or aggressive music so much, like, you know, why? And it's like, because like, there's like a, there's a shared connection there where I go, Oh, like, this is not just a me problem. Like there are so many people who have experienced this and I just want to, you know, I would just talk about how I want the music to make them feel something and yeah. to think about things. I don't, there's music that's great to just put on and dance around the house to, but that's not what I want this to be. Like I want, you know, a young person or otherwise to engage with it emotionally and intellectually and um, hopefully be able to pull something from it. Yeah. You basically tell them this, is, I want you to not ignore well, it's like, you, you know, know this, this idea of intentional listening. Um, yeah, exactly. Like mindful listening. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want, I want people to take out the lyric sheet out of the record. I want them to, to, you know, read the lyrics as they're listening to the music and connect all those dots. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, hopefully feel, feel something afterwards. Um, so. So I guess in closing, I've kind of broached everything, but what's your plans for tour? 
Are you planning on touring on this on this upcoming record? Or are you planning on touring before it? Well, yeah. So we're supposed to have Sway right before this tour, and since we haven't, we didn't tour on the longer road. We haven't toured on this one. It'll just kind of be us out on the road with both records in hand. Um, And then, like I said, hopefully record the next one later this year. And then next year, hopefully have it in hand and do, uh, you know, maybe some Midwest and East Coast dates and hopefully tour on that record. Um, But with, you know, how delayed everything has been in the vinyl manufacturing world Hmm. i don't know if we'll have the third one in hand that quickly but uh definitely have the intention of of doing more touring in 2024 and you know hopefully you know maybe coming through and hanging with you we'll give you a place to crash my wife and i are buying a farm uh in the near future so we'll have room for you (laughs) that'd be amazing Thank you. The cruelty-free farm. (laughs) All right, my friend. Listen, you go give Casey a hug for me because he's a beautiful human. And uh, I hope to talk to you again soon because you're as as nuanced as I am. And that's refreshing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd love to chat again. I mean, recorded for the podcast or otherwise. If you just want to nerd out on some records, I'm sure my girlfriend would appreciate me kind of offsetting <laughs> some of that and writing it your way so um anytime all right my friend it's good to see you yeah good to see you take care of yourself yeah you too bye-bye now folks that was my conversation with davy from dry wedding new album sway the vinyl the the physical component is finally available on Bandcamp. We dug really deep in this one, which we often do on this program. I'm happy to share this with you. This weekend is going to be a three episode drop. Three episodes. Well, two this weekend and one right after the weekend. It's a lot of work. I'm really killing myself trying to get good content out to you fine people. I hope you appreciate what I'm doing to myself for you. <laughs> Listen, I love doing this stuff. This is uh, this is my heart. I want you to turn this podcast off as soon as you hear the end of this dry wedding song and get ready for tomorrow's episode. He's been Davey. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And this has been the book of very, very bad things podcast. Take care, everybody.
Thank you.